Welcome to chapel. Glad that you are here. You chose to be here. That's a good thing. You could have been any other place, as we say in our church, but you decided to come and worship with us this morning. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, we made an announcement that if you are sitting on the edge and there's some empty seats inside, just scoot over. We have people in the back who may want to come and sit, but they don't see any empty seats. So as Mama Beans would say, scoot over. Just scoot over. Okay? Scoot over. <laughs> and then if those are in the back, I didn't say it scoot over, so you need to come on down. Like they said, what the price is right. Come on down. Come on down. Come on down. Uh, as you know, at Whitworth, there are many opportunities to hear from incredible speakers on a variety of topics. Whitworth's Office of Church Engagement is hosting one of those opportunities this Thursday at 7 p.m. in the Robinson Teaching Theater as Paul Young, author of The Shack. Uh, he's going to be here. Theologian J. Baxter Kruger and author John McMurray give a presentation entitled, Do I Belong? Discussing fear and shame at the root of human blindness and how the incarnation God has embraced us in the astonishing purpose of the triune God. Amen? All right. As I was thinking this morning, there's so much going on in our world. And as I asked the Holy Spirit to give me a prayer that we can all relate to. So let us pray. Spirit of the living God, our world is hurting and broken. We pray for those who are lost. We pray for those who are confused. We pray for those who are alone, and we pray for those who have lost loved ones this week. Please comfort your people. We need you, Lord. We know that in whatever we face, you are our peace and refuge, a very present help in times of trouble. Thank you that you remain, uh, remind us throughout your word. We do not face the storms alone, but you are always with us, whispering calm, speaking peace, bringing rest to our souls. We confess our need for you, and we ask you to forgive us for trying to figure everything out on our own, for not trusting that you are more than able and powerful enough to work on our behalf. Forgive us for picking back up what we already determined to lay down at your feet. Give us the ability to trust you more than we ever have. Give us a heart that finds rest in your presence. Give us the wisdom to seek peace and pursue it, remembering it's only to be found in you alone. Thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that the peace of your loving and strong presence guards and protects our hearts and minds in you. Thank you that we do not have to walk in fear or live in an overwhelmed cycles of worry and stress. And thank you for your voice that breaks through the greatest wind storm swirling around us. And you simply whisper, peace, be still. Thank you that you sent your one and only son to set us free. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen, mama. Good morning. Good to see you all here. Um, it's, it's about week four in our Whitworth world, and what I've been hearing a lot about now is the excitement of the new roommate situation that I'm now in is starting to become a little bit stressful. I remember this so clearly. When I was a junior at Whitworth, I moved off campus and I moved into a house with a group of my best friends. So I was so excited and knew that all of my 
roommate stress from being in the residence halls was finally going to go away because I was going to be with all my best friends. And it, it was around week four that a big old chore chart went up on the wall. Anybody got a chore chart in their house? Yes, I know. Because the people that make chore charts are neat freaks. Yes? Just admit it. You need some order in your life. And so we're going to make sure that if you clean, you get a gold star by your name and that there will be order in your life. And this happens in, the do in, the, in your dorm rooms too, where it's like we're just starting to get to the point of like, okay, I'm starting to get to know you. I've been nice for three weeks. Make your bed. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. The stress of this keeps coming up and coming up. And so when I was living in this house, I remember... Just, I, I felt like I was pretty clean. I, I mean, I was fine. But there were times in my life where the piles would start to stack up. Anybody got just naturally, like, I will, thank you, thank you. I see you back there. You're fine. The piles, <laughs> the piles start, I will get to it. It just doesn't happen every moment that it doesn't, I don't clean it the second it needs to be cleaned, right? I can hang it out. It can be in the sink for a little bit. Right? You all know what I'm talking about, right? This is ro real roommate stress, living in community. And I realized how quickly I was thinking of my mother, that when we were raised, I lived in a pretty clean house, but whenever anybody came over for dinner, there was like this mad dash, like an hour before, where all those piles would be thrown into a closet or a junk drawer. Like, just put it away, put it away, put it away. Wipe it down, clear it out, make it look really clean. We are super organized in this house, and all things are in its place. It made me think about how often in our lives we live that out spiritually, right? We try so hard to present, to present clean and organized and spiritually strong when so often we push the clutter of our lives into these back closets, and we hide it so nobody can see it. This morning, in this story of the woman at the well, I was reminded of this same sort of idea that she has all of this junk in this back closet. And it's full of pain and shame and guilt and embarrassment. And she doesn't want anyone to see it. So the story shows up in John 4, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit because it's sort of a longer story. But the essence of it is that Jesus now... Is, in alone, is alone. The disciples have left. They've gone to get some food. It's in the heat of the day, so he's just sitting. He's taking a rest. And here comes a woman with her bucket and is coming to draw some water from this well. And as she's doing her work and headed toward this well, Jesus just looks at her and he says, hey, give me a drink. And she's astonished. And she says, you should not even be talking to me. I am a Samaritan. You are a Jew. And he said, if you really knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. And she goes, you don't even have a bucket. Which I love that part. She's like, you, this makes no practical sense. You don't even have a bucket. And he ignores that. And then... He goes on to say, everybody that drinks my water will never be thirsty again. They'll never be thirsty again. 
So now she's intrigued, and she says, Sir, give me some of this water. Now remember that she came alone in the heat of the day. Now, most often, women would come to draw water in the evening because it was cooler. She was most likely an outcast. She was fallen. She was seen as sinful. She was seen maybe as an adulteress. Some interpreters say the reason that she had been divorced so many times may have been because she was barren. Because women could not, make, could not go and divorce their husbands. Men divorced them. And if a woman was not able to produce offspring, they were pretty worthless. So for whatever reason, we don't know exactly why, exactly what all these stories are that she has or what's in her closet. We do know that this woman came at an unlikely time so she wouldn't be seen. And she came at a time when she was incredibly thirsty. This is a woman that has much pain in her life. She doesn't belong. She doesn't fit the norm. So many of us find ourselves in our world so thirsty. We are longing for something to quench our thirst. And we're going to these places. We're looking for all these different things. If I just had better grades, if I just looked better, if I just had a good relationship, if I just, if I just, then maybe I wouldn't be so thirsty. And so we find these ways to cower around and hide all of these things in our back closet so no one would see. And we try and try and try to quench our thirst hoping that nobody will see the truth of who we are. So in verse 16, it says this, Jesus said to her, go call your husband. And she drops her head and she says, I, I have no husband. And Jesus looks at her and he says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have had five husbands. And the one that you're living with now is not even your husband. But I think in my <laughs> imagination, Jesus gets real close to her, and he looks at her and he says, you have told the truth. You have told the truth. And it's as if you could see him opening the door. And she shows him all this stuff in her back closet. And he smiles at her and he says, you have told the truth. And in that moment, she looks at him and says, you must be a prophet. So let's see what's happened here. She opens up. He sees all of her truth. And in that moment, she sees that he is special. He is more than the others because he's acknowledged her and he affirms her. The woman says, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. 
And Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. I know it. And when he comes, he's going to proclaim all these things to us. It's like he's going to make sense of all these things. He's going to tell us the whole story. He's going to make so much meaning out of all of this. And Jesus looks at her and he says, I am. I am he. I am the one. And in that moment, she believes. In that moment, he makes meaning of all of this stuff in her life because he acknowledges her and he affirms her. This, my friends, is conversion. This is her conversion moment. She confesses all of her sin and he says, Thank you. Thank you. Come. Be with me, the great I am. My friends, the greatest spiritual work that any of us can do is to make meaning. We're all trying to make meaning. That's when crazy things happen in our world. We don't know what to do about God, right? My six-year-old two weeks ago said, why doesn't God just stop Irma? I don't know. I don't know. Why did that shooting happen? I don't know. We're trying to make meaning out of these things. This woman is showing, I don't know why this hasn't worked for me. I've had five husbands. It hasn't, it's been so much pain. And he looks at her and he says, thank you for telling the truth. Thank you for telling the truth. And then she saw who he was, the savior of the world, the great I am. And so the disciples come back, and he's like, what are, you, what are you doing? Why are you talking to her? And she drops her water jar and starts running back home. She drops her water jar because she's not thirsty anymore. She's no longer thirsty because this man, the great I am, says that he's got this water that he's going to give her that's going to quench her thirst because all that he did really was acknowledge who she was, and he told her, you told the truth. Now you can worship. My friends, this word gospel, eugelion, is what it is in the Greek. It means the good news. It's a military term, actually. So way back when, when the armies of two cities would come out and fight, there would be a runner. And once the battle was over, and we knew which city was victorious, the runner would go running to the victorious city. And he would scream, Eugelion! Eugelion! The good news. And so my image of this woman running back to her town, by the way, the first person in John's Gospel to preach the good news was... You tell me, Mama Beans. She's running back and she's saying, I've got the good news. I've got the good news. Eugelion, we've made it. 
the Savior of the world, the great I am, he has come. And there's no longer Samarita, Samarians, Samaritans and Jewish people. We're all together. I've got the good news. And all these people came to know him. They came to know him because she was changed, because she took the time to look at her truth. And in her looking at her truth, she saw Jesus the Christ. Band, you are welcome to come back up. My charge to you today, my friends, is to pay attention to those things in your back closets. The spiritual work that we are called to do is to speak your truth in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that if we show him that, that we will see more of him. We will be converted and the gospel will be proclaimed through you. Amen. King God, my invitation to you is to tell him your truth. And in telling him your tru truth, you will see him more fully. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. And all God's people said together, amen. Go in peace. Thank you. That's good, girl.